All right. So, tonight we wrap up our series, Take the City. But we've got one more thing that we have to talk about and be prepared for before we take our city. And so I was trying to come up with a really deep theological way to, to, to say my main point tonight. So I was looking for inspiration, and where do you think I went? Do you think I went to Jesus? No. Maybe one of the apostles, Paul, Peter, James, John, no. Maybe it's one of the old pastors from the past or one of our great Christian teachers, Spurgeon, C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham. No. Obviously, I went to Mike Tyson, former heavyweight boxing champion, who said this about Evander Holyfield before one of his championship fights. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And that's seriously what we're talking about tonight. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Before you take a city, you better be prepared for persecution and attack from the enemy, because it's coming. And what are you gonna do when you get punched in the mouth and you get knocked down? Because it's gonna happen. And tonight, we're gonna learn from the early church, what did they do when they were persecuted and attacked, and we're gonna see how God used that persecution to grow his church and to grow the faith of his people. Well, that's where we're going. But before we get there, I wanna do a really quick review of what we've talked about the last four weeks. So I've put the main points up on a slide here that we're just gonna zip through. So the first thing, players, not imposters. They found some players. How do you know if you're a player? There's two things. You have felt and continue to feel a deep conviction in your heart every day. I killed him. I killed Jesus. My sin killed him. And it wrecks you. It cuts you to the heart. And that deep conviction then leads to a change in direction for you, repentance. And what I mean by that is you're living your life walking this way away from God. And then you feel that deep conviction and you do a 180 and you go the opposite direction and you start walking toward God. If that is you, if that is you right now, you're a player. And if that's not you, that makes you an imposter. And imposters don't stay in the game, not for long. And as we've learned, imposters never take cities. Only players take cities. So then these early church players became a family, consistently worshiping together, doing life together. They became the church. Then they lived out their lives their faith lives in every aspect of, of their lives, 24-7, 365. Those players took their faith outside of the church walls and they shared Jesus. They shared the gospel with everybody. And then those players solved their city's problems together. And remember, the city never gets taken in our power. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's a review of how the early church took their city. 
But that was just the first phase of the mission because in Acts 1 verse 8, Dave read this verse for us the first night of the series. We learn what the full mission is because this was just the start. So let's look at this verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is what Jesus is saying. Take your city, then take your county, then take your state, then take your region, then take your country, and then take the world. And the text that we're studying tonight is gonna show us how God moved his church from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And of all things, God used persecution and hardship as the spark to accomplish his plan. He allowed his newly born church to face and fight persecution, attack, and difficulty. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you've got your Bible app, follow along with me. I'm gonna have it up on the screen. We're gonna be in Acts chapter eight, verses one through four. So let's go ahead and dig in. First verse. And Saul approved of their killing him. That's how the chapter starts. Obviously, something big happened the last chapter. And I'm kind of frustrated. Like Dave was last week, he had a whole bunch of sermons that he was talking about he wanted to preach. I got a really good one here, and I, I got to leave it for another time because I could tell you about Saul before he was Paul, our lives before Christ and what happens after we receive Christ and how he transforms and changes us and he can use anyone, even a rotten scoundrel like Saul to accomplish his plans. Saul, just so we're clear, this is Paul, okay? This is before his conversion. The guy that wrote 13 or 14 of the 27 books in your New Testament the man that after Jesus is probably considered the most important person in Christianity. That Saul approved of the stoning to death of a man named Stephen who became the first martyr of the church. Now, Saul did not pick up a rock and throw it at Stephen, but it's clear from the text that he was in approval, that they killed an innocent man. And you know why they killed him? because he was preaching Christianity and they were trying to stamp out Christianity. That is the first time that Saul slash Paul is introduced in the Bible, right there. Like I said, I gotta leave that for another time because it's gonna get worse. So let's continue on in the text to see what else Paul's doing. On that day, a great persecution broke out. What day? That's the same day that Stephen was killed broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Saul was going door to door having Christians put 
in jail. Now, even if that's hyperbole, even if that is uh, an exaggeration, Saul was having a lot of people put in prison. So the early church, the early Christians are facing persecution and attack. And many of those people that Paul had put in jail died. Again, this is arguably the greatest apostle of all time. The person who is responsible for Christianity coming to the Gentiles, you and me, that's who we're talking about here. But this is before he knew Jesus. And when he met Jesus and understood the error of his ways, his sins, you talk about being cut to the heart and being wrecked over what Jesus had done for him. Paul counted his life before Christ as nothing. And he was willing to do anything and everything for Christ. And this helps explain some of the things that Paul writes in the New Testament. Let's look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. The next one in 1 Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now these Christians in Jerusalem, they had a plan, but then they got punched in the mouth. So what did they do? How did they respond? Well, let's go back and reread the last verse of the text that we are reading tonight. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Here's what it boils down to. You either take your city or your city is gonna take you. You either change your city or your city is gonna change you. We have to stand strong in the face of a world that opposes us and that hates us, just like the early church had to face. Did they quit? No. Did they stay silent? No. They got knocked down, they got back up, and they moved to where God moved them in other locations, and they did the same thing they'd been doing in Jerusalem and other cities. Now, the real enemy here, Satan, stomped on that spiritual fire that was happening in Jerusalem through the work of Saul. And instead of putting out that fire, when he stomped on it, he spread the fire everywhere. The embers on that fire just flew everywhere. And this is how God shifted the mission of his church from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the ends of the earth. Satan wasn't even playing checkers. He was playing tic-tac-toe. God is playing chess. So those that were scattered, as we said, went to Judea and Samaria and they started working their plan. They found players. They built a family, a church. They started living out their faith daily in every aspect of their lives and they solved problems together in their new cities. But it all started with this. They preached the word. Where did they preach it? The text says they preached it everywhere they went. Well, what did they preach? Well, it says they preached the word. Well, what's the word? Well, it's, it's this, it's the word of God. A better question is, who is the word? Because as modern day Christians, we know that Jesus is the word. 
The Apostle John in John, the first chapter, first verse, in the beginning was God and the word was with God and the word was God. That's Jesus. They were preaching Jesus. And this is how God accomplished Acts 1.8. They took their city, Jerusalem, and then God allowed persecution and attack on his church to spread the gospel everywhere. And the church has been persecuted throughout history from the very beginning. And the church almost always grows and gets stronger as a result of persecution. And the same can be true for you and me when we're attacked and persecuted. It all depends on how we respond to the attacks. The last thing that the enemy wants is for you and me to take a city. He doesn't even want us to have impact on one person's life spiritually. The enemy wants you to quit and go back to your old life before Jesus. And if he can't do that, he's gonna do anything and everything that he can to make you unproductive, unfruitful, and ineffective in living your life of faith and sharing your faith. So he attacks you. And we've all faced his attacks. And this is important to know, please listen here. You are going to be attacked and face persecution. That is normal. There is nothing wrong with you. God loves you and he wants what's best for you. He hasn't abandoned you during these attacks. He's not surprised by these attacks. He allows these attacks to bring glory to himself and to grow you and me to build our character and nothing, nothing the enemy does is going to keep God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. So let me just show you real quickly some scriptures that warn us about persecution and attack from the enemy, that this is normal. You and I are going to get punched in the mouth. This is Jesus speaking, John 16, in this world you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. The next one, this is 2 Timothy, and this is Paul speaking. In fact, everyone, say that word, everyone. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. No exceptions. Peter even anticipates that we're gonna be surprised by these attacks. And I have to admit, I'm kind of a knucklehead. I still get surprised when the attacks come. He says this in 1 Peter 4, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And then the last verse, this is Peter again in 1 Peter 5. This is a pretty popular, famous verse about the enemy. So many of you have probably seen this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But this is the part I want you to get. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. This is normal. It's not fun. I didn't say it's fun. It's normal. From tonight's scripture, I wanna spend the rest of our time looking at two things that you and I have to do when these attacks come. 
Our, our enemy is going to attack the word. He is gonna attack the truth, the word of God, and he is going to attack you and I personally. So let's look at the first one. What do we do when the enemy attacks the word? We have to stand on the truth. The early church preached the word wherever they went. We've already looked at that verse tonight. And what do you think Satan did? He attacked what they were preaching and teaching. Our enemy has always been a liar. And he looks for ways to stretch and distort the truth. There's almost always just a little nugget of truth in there. But then he twists it to confuse us, to tempt us, to make us question and doubt the truth and to doubt God. So what does that mean? Well, that means you and I better know and understand the word of God, the truth, because our enemy does. We see this in the Garden of Eden when Satan twists and challenges and questions what God spoke directly to Adam and Eve to tempt them to eat the fruit, and it worked. We see it again when Satan tempts Jesus when he's in the wilderness for 40 days. What did Satan use to tempt Jesus? Scripture. I told you the enemy knows scripture and he quoted the verse correctly. It didn't apply to what he was talking about, but that's what he used. And what did Jesus use to answer him? Scripture, all three times, but right scripture that was rightly applied. We have to know God's word, which means that you and I need to be getting into God's word every day. You need to read it. You need to meditate on it. You need to study it and know it. I wanna go back to my banking days for a minute. Banks obviously deal with a lot of money, a lot of paper currency, not as much as they used to, but there is still some money out there. And back in the day, we didn't have these fancy pens that you would write on the bill and it would make it turn a color. And then you would know if it was a good bill or if it was counterfeit. So federal agents were trained to spot counterfeit bills. How much time do you think, because federal agents probably trained for six months, how much time do you think they spent looking at counterfeit bills and touching fake money? Zero. Why? Because they wanted them seeing and touching the real thing, the real truth all the time. Because if you're doing that, when something that is not that comes through, you're gonna see it and you're gonna know it. That's where we've gotta get with the word of God, that when we hear whatever we're hearing in the world, does it match God's word? And if it doesn't, then it's not the truth. Quit trying to figure out how to argue with the world on all the hot button issues today. Just stand on the truth. Here's what God's truth has to say just about a few of the issues that are out there today. All of scripture is without error. It is inspired by God, meaning it is God breathed. And it is as helpful and useful for us today as it was the day it was written. Satan and the world attack that truth. God created each of us uniquely in his image. Therefore, all human life is sacred, beginning at the moment of conception and ending at a person's natural death. 
Satan and the world attack that truth. God uniquely and wonderfully made each one of us male and female, and there's nothing that we can do to change that. These two complementary genders together reflect the image and nature of God. Satan and the world attack this truth. God created the marriage covenant to be between one man and one woman. And sex is a good gift given from God to be celebrated within the confines of the marriage covenant and all other sexual expressions go against God's design. Satan and the world attack this truth. Folks, this isn't my opinion. This isn't Eastside Christian Church's opinion. I'm telling you what God's word says. In everything that I've just said in the last two minutes, the world would call hate speech. Sharing the truth, I risk being canceled, labeled a bigot in any and every bad name possible that could be thrown at me. That's what you and I have to be prepared for when we stand on the truth. And this next point, please, this is, this is as important as anything I'm gonna say tonight. I don't wanna re-preach what Dave preached last weekend, but this was gonna be in my sermon, and this is so important. Remember when Dave talked about the balance between your position on the truth and compassion. When we share the truth, it has to be done with love. If not, you're just a... a a banging gong, a, a, a clanging cymbal. We're just making noise, making people mad and putting up walls. So let's, let's look at what this looks like if we're all position and no compassion. Here's what this looks like. I know all the rules. I get this kind of look on my face. I kind of look down and I get the finger going. But I got it all figured out. I know exactly what God, how he wants me to live, how you should live. No compassion, you're gonna reach no one. No one wants to hear that. Well, what if there's no position, there's no truth, and you're all compassion? What, what does that look like? Oh, God loves you. Do whatever you wanna do. It's all okay. You do you, boo. Okay, that's a lie, and we're not gonna help anybody talking to people that way. So what do we have to have? We have to have a balance of truth and a balance of compassion. And when we do that, if we can do that, that's when you take your city. And this is what the church has to figure out. This is one of the biggest challenges, not Eastside, Big C Church needs to figure out how to share the truth with love. But here's your warning. We can share the truth with all the compassion in the world and still end up being hated. I think this is why so few people want to speak up. But if we don't speak up, what is going to happen to our children and our grandchildren? What's going to happen to the people that have believed the lies that Satan in the world has told them? They are not the enemy. They've been fooled by the enemy. And if we as Christians aren't going to share the truth with them in love, who will? Who will? Many of these people are our family. 
our friends, our co-workers. God has placed these people in our circle of influence for a time such as this. Will we stand on the truth and share the truth in love or will we stay silent and take the path of least resistance? Well, what would a player do? The players in the early church shared truth even at the risk of being flogged, run out of town, or being killed. But here's the second thing that you and I have to do when we're attacked, and this is the most important one. Stay in the game. And I wanna show you something in the parable of the sower. It's also called the parable of the four soils that I'm gonna read to you. And this is Matthew 13, verses 18 through 22. So I'm just gonna read it and explain as I go. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes. Who is the evil one? Satan. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown. He steals that in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. That's the first soil. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. Here's the key sentence, listen to this. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is exactly what the enemy wants. Quit, tap out, leave the game. And the enemy, a lot of times, not always, is who brings the trouble and persecution your way. This is the second soil. So let's look at the third, verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Well, where do many of these worries of life come from? Lies that the enemy and the world are trying to tell you. And here's what they sound like. Are you sure God loves you? Why don't you have the money that you need this month for your groceries or for your rent or your mortgage? Doesn't God know about that? Doesn't he know about your anxiety, how bad it is? Maybe he can't heal you. Maybe he doesn't want to. Look at what everybody else has. Do you want that? Why do they have that and you don't? Sound familiar? When the attacks come, when the storms of life hit, will you stay in the game? Will you be a player and keep your uniform on? Because the enemy wants you to quit. Don't quit. Stay in the game. We know that all of us are gonna get punched in the mouth. I've been there. Satan and the world land a haymaker on you and you're on the ground before you know it. It's okay to get knocked down. Famous football coach Vince Lombardi is quoted as saying, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. We see this every day on our prayer chain. Death, cancer, addiction, overdoses, suicide, 
injuries, surgeries, mysterious illnesses, accidents, financial problems, family members at war with each other, and on and on and on and on. And many of these situations are attacks from the enemy. It's every day. And our staff is praying for every one of these that we see come through for you, for your family members, your friends, people that are in your circle. And I have to admit that there are times that we are just overwhelmed at the amount of stuff and the severity of the stuff that we're all dealing with. The players in the early church who were, who were persecuted and scattered, they preached the word and they did not quit. They kept their uniforms on and then they didn't just take their city, they went out and took other cities. Players don't lay down, players never give up. They could have just said, it's too hard. This is scary, maybe we misunderstood God, maybe we misheard him. There's no way this could be God's will if it's this hard. Well, instead of giving you a plan on how to stay in the game, because I could do that, but that's not my purpose tonight. I could say, read your Bibles, pray, get together with other Christians in a life group, read Ephesians 6, the armor of God. All that stuff is great. You should do all of that stuff, but that's not my purpose tonight. What I wanna do is share with you the story of someone from our church family who has suffered a tragedy that none of us would ever wanna go through, and they have stayed in the game. And I want you to hear a little bit about that story. My dear friends, Chris and Suzanne, have given me permission to share this. They're, they're here tonight. I met them for the first time on Friday morning, June 16th of this year. It was about three and a half months ago. I remember the date because that's when they lost their six-year-old daughter, Skylar, in their home from an infection that escalated quickly. As I talked and listened to Chris and their families out in the front yard that morning, obviously, ever, we're all devastated, but there was one concern that just kept coming up from everybody that was there in the front yard how are they gonna get through this? I'm just, this is gonna shatter them. I, are, are, are they gonna quit believing in God? Are they gonna think that God did this? Are they gonna leave their faith behind? Are they gonna leave church? And we prayed several times out in the front yard for that. So this is what was in the front of my mind when Chris got me and we are now walking into the house and I'm about to meet Suzanne and pray over them. I have no idea what I prayed. I know, that I, pray, I know I prayed that God would show them that he was right there with them in the middle of this and that this is not what he wanted. He did not do this. And that's all I remember. I prayed, I said amen. And less than two seconds after I got done praying, Suzanne said, God didn't do this. This was the enemy. I wanted so bad to run outside and tell the family what she had just said because that was answer to prayer right there, right in the midst of the worst pain she's ever felt. And in the middle of that, instead of running away from God and blaming him, her and Chris are digging deeper into their faith because they're players. 
Skylar's funeral was the next Wednesday. And if you were there, you saw and heard their strength. Yes, they were and still are in horrible pain. Wouldn't you be? The next night, Thursday night, it's about 6.30. I'm out in the commons by the front door, and who do you think's walking in for church? Here's Chris and Suzanne. Sunday morning, three days later, they've already been to church. Guess who's coming in here for a second dose? Chris and Suzanne. They're already back serving. Suzanne's looking for new ways and different ways to serve in our kids' area. They were in my third point class two weeks ago to get plugged in to a life group. They've been an inspiration to me and to a lot of people in this church. And the reason that they were willing to share their story, as much as this hurts, is they want to help other people that have been punched in the mouth and that have been knocked down to get back up and stay in the game. So I asked them, how are you doing this? How are you taking one foot, one step in front of the other to get through this? And Suzanne said, because I know it's not over. I know God is going to fix this if I stay in the game and I would rather praise him than live in a dark place. She sent me a song that was written by Matt Marr titled Hallelujah Anyway. I thought it was called Even If because they repeat that a lot in the song. It's a beautiful song. And she said, this would be my song to God. This is what's helped me get through this. I wanna read just the first verse in the chorus. Just listen to this. I'll find a way to praise you from the bottom of my broken heart because I think I'd rather strike a match and curse the dark. Yep, I'll find a way to thank you. Though the bitterness is real and hard because I'd rather take a chance on hope than fall apart, I don't think I'm ready to surrender to the dark, no. Even if my daylight never dawns, even if my breakthrough never comes, even if I'll fight to bring you praise, even if my dreams fall to the ground, even if I'm lost, I know I'm found, even if my heart will somehow say hallelujah anyway. In the midst of this, Suzanne has chosen to worship and praise God. This is what my brother Chris had to say. Me staying in the game goes back to months before this happened. I always knew Jesus came to save us from our sins, but it was an empty answer to me. I didn't understand that. I just lived my life the best way I could, and I hoped that it pleased God. And then we watched the show, The Chosen, and it got me curious, and that's when Jesus grabbed my heart and said, I'll show you and help you understand. Now I have a thirst to read the Bible like never before. I put myself in Jesus' shoes. I would die if it meant a way for all of my loved ones to go to heaven. 
When I, I, when I finally understood why Jesus died for me, it wrecked me to the core. Absolutely wrecked me, and it still does. Does that sound familiar? That's a player. That's the definition. That gave me a hunger to help my children know Christ. When Skylar passed, it hit me that God had been pulling me back to him months before to save my daughter. He didn't cause her death, but he knew it would happen, and he gave me the drive to share Christ and the message of salvation with her and my family. Now, I stay in the game to ensure the rest of my loved ones find their way to Christ so that they become players. I stay in the game because I miss Skylar so much, and I want to spend eternity with her. The devil and all the evil in this world will never make me deny my faith, my love, or my gratitude that I have for God and Jesus. When I'm standing in front of him on the day of judgment, I want him to say, I know you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Satan stomped on this family's fire for Christ and took their daughter. But just like in our scripture tonight, what Satan meant for evil, God is turning around for good. Chris and Suzanne have stayed in the game. They've kept their uniforms on. Those uniforms are dirty, bloody. They got holes and rips all through them because they've been in a war since June 16th that they continue to fight. But they remember this. Our heavenly father has already won the war. God wins. And if we stay in the game, we win with him. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Instead, make a plan on what you're gonna do to get back up when you get knocked down because it's going to happen. Players, keep your uniforms on and go take your city. Father, we thank you for your word, the power of your word. We thank you for your son. Lord, what we talked about tonight is a difficult topic for all of us. None of us like facing attack or persecution. Lord, just we pray that you would continue to, to fight our battles for us, that you would protect us, that you would help us stay in the game and stand on your word. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Help us go out and do what you want us to do, to go take our city and to go take the world. And it's in the mighty and precious name of Jesus that we pray, amen.